thank you so much for joining me for episode six of the Shorter Speaks With podcast. My name is Shorter Dunbar and I hope everyone is well. And this week, excitingly, I spoke with Helen O'Hara. Now, Helen O'Hara is an Empire film critic. She's also a podcaster. She appears every week on the Empire Film Podcast. And she is also about to release a book called Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film. So we spoke about how she first joined Empire. Uh, she, we went behind the scenes on the Empire Film Podcast and how COVID has affected um, well, Hollywood and uh, film criticism as well. And we spoke about her book as well. So please enjoy. So I am delighted to be joined by Empire Film Critic, uh, podcaster and author, Helen O'Hara. Hara. Oh God, I've already messed that up. So let's, go, let's continue going with that. <laughs> Helen O'Hara. That's probably the last, that's probably the first time you've been called that. <laughs> that's a new uh, one. It's good. <laughs> Hello, Helen O'Hara. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to to speak to me. Um, it's a real pleasure to to speak to you as a reader of Empire and listener of your podcast. Oh, thank it's, you very uh, much. Yes, it's uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit about that. And you have a book that's coming out soon as well. So look forward to talking a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, I wanted to to ask. Now, I'm sure people who listen to the Empire podcast they they probably recognise your voice, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I was wondering if you could let us know how you first started with Empire Magazine, because I, I believe if I'm uh, correct, and I might not be, mm. but you studied law, I believe, first. So how yeah. did you move to, to, film crit- to being a film critic for Empire? Well, I studied law because I used to be sensible and then it all went horribly <laughs> wrong somewhere along the way. Um, but but yeah, I, I thought it would be a sensible career and, and uh, one aunt and two uncles are lawyers. My grandfather was a lawyer and, you know, so I've always been kind of aware of that as an option. And, and I wanted to be rich um, at one point <laughs> in my life, obviously not anymore. And um, yeah, so I, so I, I, I trained as a lawyer. I not only got through my degree, but, you know, literally trained as a barrister and qualified as a barrister as well. And then wow. <laughs> gave up because I, I kept giving law a chance. You know, I kept saying, oh, well, I've come this far. You know, I've done my degree. I may as well go to bar school. Well, I've come this far. I've done bar school. I may as well try pupillage. And, you know, I kept giving it a chance and I was just miserable. I just wasn't enjoying it. And, and I have to say, that's that's me, not law. You know, I have a lot of friends who stayed in law and find it fascinating and find it in stimulating and, and exciting and everything else. Um, but I just, I, I think I would have been okay if it was just arguing about stuff in court. But the fact that it was endless paperwork and making extremely specific arguments in an extremely specific way made me feel like beating my head against the wall. So so I jumped and um, as luck would have it, two months later, an internship came up at Empire Online, the website. Um, And of course I read the magazine every month and the website every day. So I knew the style pretty well. And so even though I didn't have any experience or training in journalism, I was lucky enough to get that internship and was there for the next nearly 11 years on staff and, you know, associated with it ever since. Wow, and that's what, it's, it seems like the, any time there's a court scene in movies or a movie <laughs> about lawyers, uh, they, they, so funny enough, they don't include the paperwork often. They don't include <laughs> the paperwork very much. And like, so all those bits in between the courtroom scenes, you know when Tom Cruise and Demi Moore are yes. like up late at night uh, eating Chinese food? Um, it's like that, but without the Chinese food. You know, yes. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's not right. 
Is it a bit like in Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo? <laughs> yes. P- piles of papers. Piles and... of paperwork everywhere. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can imagine. And there's very rarely any, um, is, there, is there ever any uh, you can't handle the truth <laughs> part in law for what you've I mean, what you studied? I, you know, <laughs> because I was brand new qualified when I left, you know, the only things I'd really done were, you know, prosecuting people for lack of a fishing license. <laughs> things like that maybe maybe a maybe a minor road traffic accident you know I, I i wasn't exactly high-powered stuff that i was doing at the time so that probably maybe that would have changed things as well you know maybe if i'd been at one of the big human rights chambers and i'd been all fired up about the uh about the subject matter maybe that would have changed things but as it was i was a bit like is this all there is oh god <laughs> yes i've i've been there so <laughs> So, so then it seems like you discovered your your passion then working for Empire because at least listening to the podcast because I, I've I've been one of the people who started from the beginning and listened oh. to the very first episode. I believe it was uh, with John Carter of Mars, one of the f- oh first few wow. back then. <laughs> and uh, I'm still there. I'm still listening every week. It was your podcast, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but the, one of the first podcasts I listened to as well was the Kermode and Mayo podcast. Mm-hmm. We we can censor that. We can beat oh, that. Oh, no, no, artists. that's fine. They're, they're, they're fantastic. They do wonderful Yeah, things. I love them as well. But every Friday, you listen to your podcast at Kermode and Mayo, and it's it's good because you're... I, I love both podcasts, but they're so different as well. <laughs> yes. Well, theirs is a lot more professional for a start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't mean that. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're both very, both very different. I mean, because, I mean, what I like about... Well, your podcast as well with you, well, Chris Hewitt and James Dyer, mm. that it seems like uh, that that's the way the three of you are. And that's the way the three of you interact with each other when you're not recording that it doesn't yes. seem it seems to be very genuine. Yes. Is that would you say that that's, that's the case? Yes. A hundred percent. I think it was it was weird, actually, because when we started the podcast, we'd actually been talking about doing a podcast for years. And we'd had trouble getting it off the ground because none of us had any technical skills whatsoever. <laughs> and, you know, when we went down and talked to there, there are radio stations in, in the building and we talked to them about, hey, what, you know, guys, could we maybe get in a studio and record a thing? And I think, you know, we were we were quoted vast sums of money for sort of hire of the studio. And of course, Empire didn't have money to spend on some ridiculous idea of doing a podcast. So uh, so we kind of had put it aside for a number of years. And then we finally find somebody in radio who basically was was up for doing it was up for helping out and and helped us launch things which was great and um we yeah it was it was actually kind of a lifeline because it was a time when we were really busy and stressed out especially on the website end of things because all of us who worked on the website also worked on the magazine and a few people who worked on the magazine like chris at the at that time also worked on the website um, but there wasn't a huge always amount of back and forth between everybody. And so we were always hustling on the website because, you know, a magazine has a finite number of pages. Once you filled them, you can go home with a clear conscience. On the website, there's always something else you could be writing about. And so it never kind of stopped. And we were always kind of stressed out and running around like headless chickens. And what was nice about the podcast was for an hour a week, we got to remember that we liked each other and we liked talking <laughs> nonsense with each other and not working all the time, you know? And uh, and so it, it kind of brought us back to ourselves as a, as a group, if that doesn't sound too... Yeah, no, very, that, very... that definitely makes sense, you mm. know, because certainly listening to the 
to the three of you. I mean, I know sometimes other people join you as well. Mm. Um, but even when you, you know, disagree with film critics, um, you know, for example, <laughs> what is it? Molly's Game, I believe, that you and oh, James Dyer. Goodness. Oh, James <laughs> would not let it go. <laughs> I, I I thought, and I think I tend to agree more with you. I liked it, but I don't think it's four stars. Right, it's like a, it's a solid it's, three star film. I mean, yeah, it it was fun, but it's kind of like forgetting about it afterwards. Mm. You know, it's not a bad film, but yeah, what what I like is even when you kind of disagree, and sometimes you know you, you can tell that you guys are passionate, but you never really seem to fall out um, completely, or never seem to. Maybe I'm wrong. No, but you, <laughs> no, that's about right. Um, um, now we, there's definitely things we disagree on we definitely roll our eyes at each other sometimes it's, it's almost like a sibling relationship you know there's that kind of closeness but also that kind of exasperation sometimes uh, and I'm sure this is not me you know being the one who's only one who's exasperated they're absolutely exasperated with me sometimes as well so I'm not I don't think I'm out of line in saying that but um, but yeah it, it is it is a real closeness it's not it's definitely not put on god help us we'd, I think we'd try and put on something a bit more professional <laughs> <laughs> no but as I said that's, that's what I like that the three of you seem close you know together and mm. that it's, it seems genuine yeah um, and when you, when you started then uh, recording and uploading the podcast as you mentioned that uh, you guys didn't have any technical experience at the time mm. uh, was there anything particular that surprised you or that um, you, you thought oh we didn't expect this when we we're discarded even po- positive maybe or well the big thing for me was I had cautioned Chris to be far less ambitious with it and and to Chris's credit he ignored me completely but I was sort of saying like there's no way we're going to get uh, a guest every single week you know we have to have a format that allows us not to have a guest every single week and I think with maybe like three episodes exception ever we've always had at least one guest and some sometimes three or four um so that that's one thing and then also I was saying oh you know it should be about 20 minutes long surely nobody listens to podcasts that are over 20 minutes long um and of course, I was wrong about that as well. And as our four-hour Avengers Endgame spoiler <laughs> special pretty much demonstrated. I remember. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you're, when you started, you guys started the podcast, it seems to be like it's still a relatively new mm. thing. Um, and I think now there's so many podcasts. Yeah. I mean, even I started a podcast and I also have no technical experience. <laughs> so, and, but, um, but, but yeah, and then um, this year then so you've been doing the podcast as well for I don't know, mm. since, for well a few years, years we can now, say yeah. <laughs> eight years wow Nearly already terrifying well i know it is and um you guys do my masters at the time so <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> like i can't believe it's nine years since i did that but, um but then this year so i've been recording um you know been doing one interview per week i mean i'd be quite happy i love the interview but i'd be quite happy to listen to the three of you oh, talk you. as well um, but I love the interviews as well and the mm. guests that you have. But then, you know, I imagine that usually before you guys, when you had guests on, you would speak to them face to face, I imagine. Yes, um, yes. In fact, we had a rule. We wouldn't do any podcast interviews over the phone. Like, obviously, for the magazine, we'll we'll do interviews over the phone. Mm. That That's fine. But for the podcast, it helps. It genuinely helps to be in the room. And it genuinely helps to be able to see people and, and kind of you build a different rapport if you're face to face and we find this as well because at the time we started the podcast and this is a bit inside baseball so apologies if I'm kind of going on but no, at the time we started ahead. <laughs> we were still doing a lot of video interviews and you you only get sort of a five minute slot with people in a video interview and it's incredibly difficult to get any kind of interesting answers or come up with a different angle on a question because you still have to ask them 
vaguely basic things because you only have five minutes. You don't have time to jump in with some arcane piece of knowledge. You know, you have to get across what the film is and what the film's about. Um, and I always find that extremely stressful. I mean, somebody like Ali Plum, who worked for Empire at the time, who now works for Radio One in the UK, is a phenomenally gifted interviewer, and I think got really, really good interviews even in those five minute spots. But you know, it, it's it's a real um, hit or miss thing. You either get a great interview or you get nothing usable. You know, so it was really quite a stressful format. And what we found when we started doing the podcast, um. We again, we kind of laid down the law a bit, and we were like, "Look, we need people um, from for like at the minimum fifteen minutes, and preferably twenty, and we need people to be outside the video room. So you need to take them out of that room." And a couple of times that message didn't get communicated, and I ended up doing a podcast interview in a room where there were movie cameras. Now we weren't sitting with the movie cameras pointed at us; the cameramen were outside the room. You know, they weren't there and it still affects the kind of interview you get because they're still in interview mode in a weird way. Whereas like we find if we if we go in to just like a normal hotel room, which is where you do a lot of these interviews with celebrities or or if we if we're lucky enough, we get them in the studio. Um, and we find when you're in that space and there's no cameras around and you say to them, look, you know, if we're you can go off on tangents, you can swear, you can, you know, do whatever really like, there's no there's really no rules and also sometimes i've said to people if if you say th something and you know it's a massive spoiler and you wish you hadn't given it away or whatever let me know when you know i can edit that out this will be edited and i've literally never had to do that we've literally never had to edit that out but the fact that you say that puts them at ease mm. calms them down and then they just give you a completely different and much more relaxed interview so it's yeah, been it's a, a real I, blessing in terms of the interview. Yeah, no, I find as well for the Adventure Games podcast that to put people at ease is one of the most important things mm -hmm. because I had an interview with a school teacher and he had a parent-teacher meeting the following week, but he said he's more nervous coming onto a podcast <laughs> than the parent-teacher meeting. But then he's fine. It's one of my favorite interviews. Mm. So, um, so yeah. And then how has uh, how has that worked then with with COVID this year? Because um, uh, first of all, congratulations on still continuing the podcast, <laughs> which I'm sure is difficult. Oh, it's been um, it's been such a relief, honestly, to still have it at yeah. a fixed point in the week. Yeah, no, for, for me as well. I'm sure for all the listeners as well. Mm. Um, so how have you guys had to adapt? Uh, now, I promise you we'll get to your book now no worries, after this. No but how, how have you had to adapt? Um, have you guys had to adapt for COVID? Because I, I take it you haven't been able to speak to many people face to face this year. No. So it has been um, over the dread zoom or if we're lucky yes. on we, we've been using squadcast which just has just to be an audio geek for a minute it has slightly better audio recording properties um so that's our our kind of preference uh and that has been okay it's been okay uh, it's not my favorite face to face is still definitely better but it has enabled us to at least keep going um, and that that's been that's been kind of helpful. I think a lot of it's funny though. A lot of celebrities like they will not turn on the video function, and they get really freak, freaked out if they come into Squadcast and they've never used it before and they see the video function. They're like, "You're not recording video, are you?" Um, because they haven't maybe had their whole glam squad there to make them look gorgeous. <laughs> and I include the men and not just the ladies there. Um, so so yeah, it's it's a different thing. Um, 
But I'm just glad we've kept it going because honestly, it's it's given me something to do every week as well and sort of a fixed point in the week uh, that enables me to actually talk to some friends and, you know, kind of see people, kind of. <laughs> yeah, no, that, absolutely, because it is... Well, the podcast for for myself, Thomas and Laura for the Adventure Games podcast, it is a way that we keep in touch as mm. well. Um, and so, uh, but also I kind of, because when I watch some, you know, late night talk shows from the, the US, mm-hmm. and it feels so different because you mentioned, um, you know, to people who are not so glam. Now you see Conan O'Brien and Stephen Colbert with very long hair. Mm-hmm. And, and they're talking to these celebrities like Ryan Reynolds from their homes and they're not you know, glammed up. and I, But I kind of mm. like it. It feels kind of more personal as well. I mean, obviously, I like yeah. the face-to-face aspect in the studio, but it also kind of makes makes them more human as well. It's like, oh, they have homes. They're, they're not always like in <laughs> makeup. <laughs> and, uh, they're still very gorgeous mm-hmm. people, you know, Ryan Reynolds, of course. Oh, but... I mean, he's, yeah, he, he did not fall out of the ugly tree, that guy. Um, no. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there is a real... Um, it's also been that kind of nosy thing of seeing inside people's houses and seeing what yes, they yes. what they have and what they value is kind of fun as well. What they're willing to show behind their heads, you know. Um, exactly. So I'm, I'm nosy enough to be interested in that stuff, but it's usually you know a white wall or maybe a bookcase if they're feeling confident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um, but no. Well, thank you for continuing the podcast as well, and I do hope as well you can start. To meet people face to face. Yes. Uh, at some point. At some point. Soon, <laughs> you know, I think we all. Sake. I think we all need it. Definitely. Um, so then, moving on to your book, mm. then, which uh, we mentioned, because this looks really interesting. It's uh, it's called is it Women versus Hollywood: The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, which is a very interesting title. Yeah. Well, we, certainly... <laughs> we went back and forth on that. I I was up for something along those lines from day one, and I think my my publisher needed a bit of conv- convincing. I think they wanted something a little bit less martial, military. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the, the basic idea of the book is we were, we were kind of talking about doing something about women in film. And, and what's interesting to me is actually, if you look back at the silent era, there were women who were directing and who owned their own studios and who were producing and who were editing and screenwriting and everything else. I mean, there are some estimates that women composed as many as 50% of all screenwriters in the silent era. And this was a time when a married woman couldn't even own any property. It all automatically passed to her husband. This was a time when women couldn't even vote yet in most countries in the world. So it's kind of extraordinary how much they managed to do in early film. And by the, you know, mid 1910s, there were women in Hollywood, in Hollywood studios, making major motion pictures and they were getting picked for the sort of blockbusters of their day right so what went wrong because by the time of the studio era which lasted from the sort of mid to late 1920s until essentially now like there were no women there was what there would be one woman at a time basically who was allowed to direct Dorothy Arzner for a few years Ida Lupino for a few years Elaine May for a few years and and then we got that literally those three people bring us up to the 1970s, 1980s, when a few more women managed to get their way in. So it really is, that's why it's the fall and rise. So there were women there at the start. They were all pushed out almost entirely when film became a major business. And it's really taken until my lifetime for women to start Mm. fighting their way back in again. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that, uh, as you mentioned, there was 50% of women who wrote... um, uh, uh, screenplays back in the silent mm. age 
And uh, and you mentioned in the blurb as well that there were early pioneers with, like you mentioned Dor- Dorothy Arsner, uh, Arsner and Alice Guy Arsner, yeah. Um, that she she invented the boom mic as well. Yeah, which... yeah, she did. Well, she so, doesn't always get credit for it because somebody else patented oh. it first. Uh, but oh, yeah, okay. she she put it she put it together for a Clara Bow film in 1926. Um, she basically just hung a mic on a fishing reel in order to make it work. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, this is the thing. There were women who were doing extraordinary things. Uh, by some estimates, and again, this is disputed, as most facts about women in Hollywood are, um, the very first narrative film, as opposed to documentary, was made by a woman. Uh, it was a woman oh. called Alice Guy Blaché, uh in 1896, who worked for Léon Gaumont, who was one of the early pioneers in France. And she basically borrowed one of the company cameras and asked him if she could put on a little drama. And And it was a 30-second clip, but it was a fictional film, and that had never been done before. Well, so it's actually a woman who made the first, well, imagine narrative film, yeah. which I'm guessing a lot of people don't don't know that. Absolutely not. So, there, you know, there are all of these things that are just out there and not talked about. And, and because they were written out of history. I mean, it was a conscious at times effort mm. to write these women out of Hollywood's history because it didn't fit this narrative of these, you know, dashing, daring men who, who kind of started it all. And... You know, they did. I mean, look, I'm not saying women were ever a majority of, of these things, but they were there and they were part of it. And that's what's been sort of wiped out. Right. Yeah. So, you know, g- give them the credit that they deserve exactly. then, basically. <laughs> um, and so uh, pr- pr- the answer is probably a bit obvious. You probably answered already. But well, why did you decide to write this book now? So why did you decide to write this topic? I'm guessing this, when you're speaking about being passionate about things, this is something that you are passionate about. Mm. Uh, why did you decide to, to write this book at this time? I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, I had a meeting with a publisher and was trying to come up with ideas. <laughs> but at the same time, but at the same time, it is something I'm passionate about. And it was something that I wanted to learn more about myself. And I thought, well, this is a, a good way to sit down and do a load of research. And of course, it's one of those things where as soon as you start doing research, you realize how much you don't know. And I wish I had had about six more years, really, maybe, of researching um, because I kept discovering interesting people who I'd never come across before and wanting to go off and read their entire biography and realizing that I didn't have time because that would end up being sort of two sentences in one paragraph in one chapter of the book because the book you know my aim was to kind of give an overview so it was to look back at the silent era and those kind of pioneering women but that's only chapter one and then I wanted to look at the studio system and how that changed things I wanted to look at censorship and what effects that had and it turns out that was absolutely devastating particularly for black women and women of color because censorship laws meant that you could not put two people of two different races against each other in a film. They couldn't play love interests. And really, what other roles were there for women at that time? So, you know, so that was just incredibly, incredibly sort of um, um, of a handicap, really, for for women of colour at the time. And so there, there were things like that that I wanted to talk about and I thought were really important to get in there. And then as we got closer to the modern era, I stopped going kind of, you know, Uh, era by era and started looking more kind of issue by issue so looking at the auteur theory and what effect that has on female directors and looking at um, the fact that so many of our films nowadays so many of the biggest films are based on existing brands you know how many Mm. Sherlock's have we had how many Tarzan's um, how many Marvel heroes and DC heroes 
And the thing is, those are all great. I mean, I, you, you listen to the podcast, you know I love <laughs> yeah, Marvel, Marvel movies. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, those are all based on comics that were written 60 years ago. So we're importing all of these kind of old-fashioned ideas of who gets to be a hero with a lot of the stuff that we watch. Um, and, and that's, again, that's an issue, you know? So where are the... If, we're, if we keep making Dracula and we keep making Sherlock Holmes, where's the room for new mm. female-led properties? It's basically Pride and Prejudice, right? And what else, you know? <laughs> yep, uh, exactly. And what, what I find interesting uh, as well is um, with Wonder Woman uh, that came out a few years mm-hmm. ago, that Patty Jenkins was the director and people were saying, oh, great, you know, that... You know, female director is uh, directing this big Hollywood movie. Mm. And again, I thought it was great. But then I was questioning, why can't Patty Jenkins direct Batman v Superman? I'm Absolutely. sure she would have done a better oh, job. God, she'd, be, she'd be fantastic as a uh, Superman movie. And I think this is that, that's exactly something I've said in the past. You know, I remember there was a news mm. story a few years ago that Ava DuVernay, the, the director of Selma, had yes. gone in to meet with Marvel. And, and she's a black woman. And the question was, was she there to talk about Captain Marvel or was she there to talk about Black Panther? And I remember thinking, well, could she not be there to talk about Thor? Because that's the next one they've yes. got to make. And that, at that point, obviously, Taika Waititi hadn't been announced. Mm. Um, but, you know, that, that's you're absolutely right. You know, w- it, the point is not that Patty Jenkins gets to make Wonder Woman. The point is that Patty Jenkins gets to work regularly and other women get to work mm. regularly. And Patty Jenkins doesn't become the new Catherine Bigelow or Penny Marshall or Elaine May, the one woman that Hollywood is willing to call. You know, we need there to be lots of them. We need to be equal. There needs to be representation of all sorts. And that's not just women, that's LGBT people, it's people of colour, it's disabled people. There's a major issue there. Mm. You know, people with disabilities are being played by able-bodied actors day in, day out. And sometimes, you know, there might be a, a case where that's necessary because you have, let's say, a you know, pre-accident person who then suffers physical disabilities or something like that. There may be cases where it is unavoidable, mm. but in a majority of cases, come on, guys, you know, you could make some allowances, you could make some accommodations and you could hire a person with a real disability rather than, you know, someone who's on an Oscar run. So I, I feel exactly. like there's there's a long way to go, but I do feel like in the last few years, We've been taking steps in the right direction. And that is actually genuinely why this felt like the right time for this book. Because I felt like if I'd written this 10 or 15 years ago, it would have been an angry book, but there wouldn't have been much hope in it. And now I feel like there are moments that are going to make people furious. But I think I can honestly also express some hope that the situation is changing for the better. Right, because again, if we look at uh, you know the, some of the biggest movies, we mentioned Marvel as well and uh, DC. What are the mm. biggest movies? Well, Black Panther yeah. uh, was one, and then Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. Yeah. Wonder Woman is still probably, you know, I think, definitely the best of the DC movies. I agree. And, and who um, saw Wonder Woman outgrossing Justice League? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That is astonishing. And yeah, definitely. And then I suppose the, the final question to end on a really positive, happy note, um, <laughs> just wanted to get your thoughts and see if this has changed uh, with the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. so which happened a few years ago. And yes, we've had with, you know, Harvey Weinstein and all of that. Um, has that, you know, you mentioned that things are beginning to change. Do you think that that has played an effect and has, you know, is it basically now safer for women to go to Hollywood and are they getting more opportunities? Are they being treated a little better thanks to uh, the brave women that ca- that uh, came out publicly, um, or is there? Do you imagine still a way to go, mm. or are they still? Is there still resistance to this? Um, um, 
So how do you see from working as a film critic in Empire? Yeah, I, I think I think I think what I can say is I think things are going in the right direction, but I absolutely don't think the problems are solved. And I think there's a real danger of complacency and and thinking, oh, well, we talked about that in 2017, so it must be done now. You know, we've seen this with the Black Lives Matter mm. movement, you know, that really erupted in what, 2014, I think it was? Was it 2014 with the Flint protests? Um, and then there was this perception that somehow it had gone away, so things must be okay. I believe but so, that, was it? Yes. You know, wasn't the case, yes, or I we wouldn't so, have had yes. these problems this year. I think there's a little bit less resistance. And I think the big difference, the, well, there's two big differences. I think the first big difference is that when women now talk about this stuff, they're being taken seriously. And that's a general thing. And that's mm. the media is, is beginning to take it seriously, and they're beginning to change the, the way they use language to talk about this stuff. I think people in you know the public are beginning to take it seriously. They're not. I think there was a tendency to make jokes about the casting couch and and you know make light of yes. it for a very 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 long time, and to somehow act like well these women knew what they were in for. Well these women chose mm. this life, and I mean why you know we we don't say that men chose this life. You know if if mm -hmm. men were getting assaulted, I think we'd be a, a horrified and rightly so. Um. So I think getting past this idea that the you know the casting couch is kind of a joke getting past the idea that the um that sexual assault is just the price of getting of doing business that's a major thing i think the other thing that changed with the me too movement is that women started to talk to each other about this stuff in a different way and i think they started to talk not just about sexual assault or sexual harassment but also about equal pay also about mm. working conditions and i think that's has had a huge, huge knock-on effect. That's why you get Time's Up comes out of that decision. That's why you get women calling for equal pay and you know making assurances that they will not accept less than their male co-star or whatever. Um, that's why you find women shouting about... Uh, um, What's the word? Sorry. That's why you get women shouting about <laughs> inclusion riders like Frances McDormand mm. did. You know, These are all things that are slowly beginning to happen, beginning to come out into the open, beginning to be acceptable conversations to have in a way that they just weren't five or ten years ago. Yes, well, as anyone who goes on Twitter will probably realise that the real victims are white men. <laughs> I know, I know. The poor white guys, uh, God. I know, as a, as a white man in my 30s, you know. Oh, like, <laughs> you're the most fit poor me, yeah. The most fit If you were rich, if you were a rich white man in your 30s, now, oh, that would be that's... the real victims here. <laughs> well, Tre Tre Trevor Noah had a segment um, where he said that, um, you know, or think it was a white male's protest, which is something that actually happened. And he said, this must have been the quickest protest in history. <laughs> <laughs> what do we want? Everything. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I think uh, definitely I hope that things do do improve. Daniel's well for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, and yeah, I think that's all the questions that I have. I, I could speak to you for hours about this <laughs> because I am passionate as well, but I think I need to let you go as well. No <laughs> well thank you. It's been um, an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Helen. And, uh, and a very best to look with the book and with um you know with the podcast and with the film critic as well. so that was my conversation with helen o'hara i hope you enjoyed it and a huge huge thank you to helen for joining me i really really appreciate it and um so 
Uh, I would really encourage people to check out her book, Women versus Hollywood, The Rise and the Fall and Rise of Women in Hollywood. That is available from February 18th on Amazon and anywhere we buy books. So the link will be in the show notes. Um, and now if you wanted to help this podcast, as always, you can subscribe to get uh, episodes automatically. You can also rate and review if you so wish on Apple Podcasts and you can go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Georgia Speaks With and you can rate and review the links there. Uh, the links will be in show notes. Uh, if you want to become a guest on this podcast, you can go to shortespeakswith.com forward slash be my guest and you can uh, write to me to appear on this podcast if you so wish as well. Talk about any topic that you wish to talk about if you have any expertise on. And so next week, I will be joined by Irish author Owen Brady. And he will be speaking about his post-apocalyptic novel, Weep, the Irish Epidemic. So very topical right now. So until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye.